Welcome to the Original Gangsters Podcast. I am your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my partner in crime, my co-conspirator, uh, the doctor, Jimmy Bucciolato. Hi, everyone. Hey, Jimmy. And we got Ben, uh, our MVP producer behind the glass, producing us. Uh, tip of the hat to Benny. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about two um, situations within the criminal justice system involving La Cosa Nostra members. Uh, one with the one group uh, that we're going to talk about is the Genovese, and then we're going to finish off with the Lucchese. So uh, within the Genovese crime family in the last week, two OGs, two old timers, uh, guys that have been known as a, a gangland tandem for 30, 40 years, uh, Elio Albanese, Chinatown Albanese, and uh, Baby Carmine Russo. I want to hire these guys attorneys because if I ever get in trouble, I'm going to go find these guys. These uh, Russo and Albanese were facing drug dealing charges for, for uh, selling uh, Oxycontin, uh, opioid pills that they were somehow able to get prescriptions for and then moved on the black market. Those are the type of charges that you know could get you 20, 30 years. And these are, like I said, these are seasoned criminals with long, long rap sheets. Uh, but the, the, their attorneys worked out a deal with the prosecutors and the judge signed off on it. Uh, they're not going to do a day of prison time. They both got 75 hours of community service. <laughs> Jimmy, your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, it tells you a few things that, um, first of all, there's so much money to be made in pills. Just from a criminological perspective, I, I'm not aware of any organization that's not selling pills. Um, I mean, any any criminal group, right? I mean, yeah. you know, um, all, easy all money. You can groups. sell a, uh, you can sell a pill for twenty dollars a pill. Yeah, street gangs, uh, and, and even this case, a couple of old-timer Italian yeah. guys. Yeah, there, there's too much money to be made in it. But it is it is um, interesting because we've had um, – we had an episode, one of our earlier episodes on video um, with a local defense attorney, Anjali Prasad, and she's defended some of these doctors who have who were writing some of these prescriptions – and and the DEA, they throw the fucking book at these guys, man. Like you know, doctors who are they would say they're over prescribing, uh, running kind of a pill mill. And um, I mean, they they gave that one dude that she was representing over a hundred years uh, sentence, something like that. So, which I think, just my own opinion, I try not to editorialize too much in terms of like criminal justice policy. I think that's absurd. I, I think that's that's insane to to. Um, Basically, every almost like every pill that you're getting a sentence for every pill that you're selling at that point. Um, but then these guys with a, a rap sheet a mile long, it's curious that they get a slap on the wrist <laughs> when some of these yeah. doctors are you know going down for a severe sentencing. And I, I'm not, I mean, good for them. I'm not saying that they should have, <laughs> they should get stiff sentences, but it is curious. And you know, just to give a little history on them. Uh, like I said, these guys go back as a uh, as a duo. Well, yeah. back into the seventies and eighties, uh, they worked together at the Fulton uh, Fish Market, which was a, a big mob, you know, 
racketeering enterprise for years and years. And I don't know about the current state of, of that market now, but I uh, wouldn't be shocked if it was still controlled by elements of organized crime. And then they were semi-famous uh, around uh, Little Italy on, Mul on Mulberry Street uh, back in the 80s and 90s for, for selling fireworks. Um a lot and, of money they, in that. A lot of money yeah. in that. People don't realize that there's a lot of money in fireworks. So, but they have uh, racketeering convictions, uh, sports gambling convictions, extortion convictions, and even though uh, Carmine Russo's nickname is Baby Carmine, uh, he's far, he's far from a baby. These are yeah, guys in, the, in their seventies. I'm looking at the the legal documentation here, and it was oxycodone, Adderall, Klonopin, and um, I don't know. I don't know what this is. Suboxone. Suboxone. It's what you. It's what they give uh, recovering heroin addicts. Oh, oh, yeah. And then you can I, get addicted I, to the suboxone. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I know that, I, that one. I admit I'm ignorant about, but the first three I know are very, very popular. <laughs> um, no, suboxone is very popular with ex heroin addicts who get addicted to what got them off of heroin. Yeah, I see. I see. So there's so, probably a big street demand. Yeah. For it. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, what um, the they either found a very sympathetic judge, or I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, maybe it's just a situation of that the, these guys are elderly and they're viewed as less dangerous than some younger, young strapping bucks uh, that maybe appear more physically intimidating, and it's a question of medical issues uh, over prison overcrowding all these guys are trying to get and we're gonna this is gonna be a good segue all these guys are trying to get out on on uh, medical compassionate releases so they're they're trying to use i think the first step act uh which was the 2008 federal, federal act which gets sentencing reductions for non-violent offenders as well as these these medicals to shed some of the weight of the of the criminal justice system to alleviate some of the the, the resource issues where they're just overwhelmed and, and they don't have the resources and, and 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 trying to slim down some of the prison population. Yeah, I mean, I I I think that's a good idea. I know a lot of other people. I'm probably going to get all sorts of hate. Uh, <laughs> comments on youtube for me saying that but I, I think it's a good idea and i would say uh you know getting to editorialize i mean if if these pills were actually pharmace pharmaceutical grade pills and I'm, I'm not trying to minimize drug addiction that's a serious thing i don't want people to think i'm insensitive but if it's pharmaceutical grade pills people on the street are much better off taking that shit than the what what's coming up we the, just had yeah, leo the, silva on, uh, yeah. on last week and um the uh, the stuff that's manufactured in Mexico where there's no God knows what they put in there. And then God knows how they cut it. People on the street cut it with God knows what um, that that's the shit people are taking where, you know, one dosage and they're overdosing. Yep. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say like, you know, these these guys are great guys and deserve a pass. But I'm just making a larger comment about criminal justice policy um, that. Um, you know, if, if drugs were decriminalized and they could be regulated, I mean, people 
would have more information and be able to consume them in, in, a, in a safer environment. And then he could worry, then he could work on rehabilitation or whatever, you know, if the person, it's not just recreational use and the, the, the person has an addiction problem. So it just, it just makes me think of a whole other, you know, larger issue with criminal justice policy. So let's seg uh, to our final topic, go to the Lucchese crime family. Uh, Joe Glasses, Joseph Ditello, Joe Glasses Ditello, 73-year-old soldier, uh, enforcer for the top Lucchese brass, uh, was doing a 15-year sentence for racketeering, but because of his failing health, uh, got a medical release after four years or five years. So got about 10 years shaved off of his sentence. He's home now in Staten Island. Um, What's interesting, I think, about his most recent case, and he's a guy, again, with a pretty long criminal record uh, dating back to the 70s, a guy that was, uh, you know, in a, uh, he was in the, I think they called it the Prince Street crew, uh, came up under crazy Dom Truscello, was very close um, in the 2000s and 2010s with uh, Stevie Wonder, uh, Stephen Crea, who was the one-time acting boss, underboss of the Lucchese's. And so you have a situation where it's like the mob's like an elephant, you know, they've got a long, long memory. They don't forget and they don't forgive. So uh, back 25 years ago, uh, Joe Joe Ditello and a number of Lucchese's and a number of DeCalvicante uh, crime family figures of, from New Jersey were brought down in a labor racketeering case and had to go to prison. And the n- top government witness in that case was a guy named Sean Richard, who was the point man in the labor union racket that they were running, or one of the point men, and happened to be the son-in-law of the Del Cal- DeCalvicante godfather, uh, John the Eagle Riggy, and John Riggy, Riggy, how do you pronounce it, uh, JB? I think it's um, Riggy or Riggy. I think it's uh, Riggy. So, so John Riggy, um, who was you know Sam the Plumber DeCalvicante's handpicked successor, and uh, this was his son-in-law, married to his daughter, and went from. You know, between 1990, let's say between 1994 and 1999, this guy went from a nobody, you know, construction hack to running point for two organized crime administrators at two major families in their labor racketeering um, endeavors. And he flipped and he sent his father-in-law to prison as well as all of these Lucchese's. So this is more than 15 years later, uh, 2017, the indictment comes down. But in 2016, John, John Riggi at this point is dead. Uh, he came out of prison, was, was, was free for a couple years, uh, and then died, I believe, in 2015 or 16. But the year after John or the year either of or around the time that John Ridge dies, Joe Ditello and the Lucchese's are actively trying to locate 
Sean Richard in witness protection so they can take vengeance and find him and kill him. And they were successful in finding him. And uh, Joe Ditello found Sean Richard in witness protection up in New Hampshire and sought permission and got permission from the Lucchese brass to go and murder him. But before the murder could take place, uh, they were indicted. And, and that was the prison case that he just got out of. So it wasn't just trying to locate a witness and kill him, but it was a whole other slew of racketeering charges that came down, uh, including murder charges that Detello wasn't uh, involved in. But th that case is what the Mikey Meldish uh, murder that took down Maddie Madonna and Stevie Crea, they'll never see the light of day. But this was all from that case. One of the uh, predicate offenses and counts in that case was trying to locate this witness from a previous case 15 years before and uh, trying to kill him. It, it, to me, it's a stark reminder of, even though it's you know the 21st century and you think that these type of mob hits or mob retribution is a thing of the past, it, it, that's not always the case. Well, let me ask you a few things first. So who, who snitched on the plot to, how did the feds find out about the plot? Who's I, you know what? I wish I could tell you, I don't know okay. a ton of the specifics. It might've been a wire. Okay. So um, the other, the other thing is why would they relocate this guy to practically the same part of the country? Yeah. I mean, it's not very far at all. From where he, the people that he snitched on, you'd think they'd put him in Utah or Wyoming or, or somewhere, you know, Washington State. Not, uh, not on yeah. the East Coast, not in not, New England. Not, not on the East Coast, yeah. So any any insight on, I mean, even just your thoughts? But no, but I, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think that's that abnormal. Okay. Where they might not move you one state away but they might move you two states away or 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 three states away i can think of um alpo yeah he wasn't uh, very far alpo was in maine i think i could be wrong i think he was in well, somewhere in the northeast i can't yeah, remember and he was he was driving back into harlem yeah right right so um I would say this is still pretty interesting because you think about all the big names out there, Henry Hill, Sammy Gravano, <laughs> Phil Leonetti. Nobody, as far as we know, ever went after. This. Well, Gravano, there, there was a conspiracy. There, there was a mild. Well, Gravano and Leonetti, there were, I, I think saying that there were full hearted attempts might be a little bit uh, it might be an exaggeration i think there were right. half, i think there were half-hearted attempts yeah in both the uh, uh, gravano and leonetti where if they had wanted to they probably could have done it but they try to put something in motion and it's never got any traction yeah because i think in in, in arizona the gambinos did have some guys out there scouting yeah but obviously it didn't it didn't go very far. I think Huck Carbonaro was given the contract and had taken a trip out to Arizona, and that was as uh, as far as it had gotten. And then with Leonetti, I know this because I wrote his book. Uh, Leonetti was sneaking back into 
the Atlantic City, Atlantic City area to take care of his dying mother. And Joey Merlino and those guys got word. This was like 98, 99. And Merlino put out some order, basically. Like, if you see him, hit him. But I don't think it was like, a, go find him. Right. Yeah. Okay, so so there there's kind of a gray area with those cases, but there's a lot of other guys, Joe Messino. We also know a counterexample, sort again, one of these like sort of kind of was we know the Detroit guys were trying to find Nove at first. There's there's some evidence that they were trying now what now what what did they do beyond that? I, I again it's like sort of um but 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 we know that that they were I think um, they found Novi Toko at some point and they didn't do anything about it. He was uh, in Arizona. Yeah, in a pizza place. Right, but we know that they went after Joe. They went after his brother to. Well, they, to try beat, to find they, they beat his brother up a couple times. Right, which was which was also kind of his brother is a is a is a guy who's you know, yeah. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so there was all sorts of controversial. Like, the the nobody and wasn't was supposed Toko, to was, uh, get into the weeds on this, and, and that yeah. was Toko on Toko crime. Toko on Toko crime, putting your hands on a made guy. I, I get it. His brother, his brother became an informer, but still, you're not supposed to do that. Um, so there, there's a lot of layers to, to unpack there. But, but it does seem, for the most part, this seems pretty extraordinary. I mean, it does. It's not like the Sopranos where he, you know, strangles the guy in, in season one. Like I think that was I, in I, New Hampshire. I think that was in New Hampshire too. <laughs> Or I Maine. can't think in New Hampshire or Maine. I, I mean, when was the last time someone in witness protection was hit? Wasn't it in Arizona? Didn't the outfit hit a guy back like way back in the day? I'm pretty yeah, sure that he did. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. So, um, the, I don't know. I think it's a pretty interesting story. I mean, I think that's, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's common. hit a guy or possibly oh, in the UK, right? Possibly hit that guy in the UK, but it, right. it's, yeah. it's not a hundred percent because. His neighbor confessed to it, but there are people that claim the neighbor was lying about the confession. But it's 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 a you're right. It's yeah. it's a unicorn situation, and luckily for Sean Richard, whatever his name is now, uh, you know that never got carried out. But it not that long ago, the Lucchese crime family searched for and found uh, this you know informant um, who had a very very powerful. Uh, father-in-law that had recently passed and they were planning on murdering him so that you know this isn't it's probably still not a, a good rule of thumb is probably you know don't don't screw over the mafia and you won't have to look over uh, look over your shoulder for the rest of your life yeah then you don't have to worry about it but so do you think then that waiting until Riggie died was like a courtesy or because I, he- I gotta believe that it wasn't a coincidence okay that like the conspiracy to find this guy and murder him was launched within months of the father-in-law dying. But I can't imagine that the father-in-law was so thrilled with his daughter's kid because, oh, and another thing I want to, another thing we should throw in there, the narrative. He didn't go into witness protection with John Ridgey's, John Ridgey's daughter. He went into witness protection with like a stripper. So like maybe John, you know, I, I don't know what John Riggie's take on it was, but uh, maybe it was one of those things like they had kids and as much as John Riggie would want to kill his son-in-law, uh, he wouldn't want to make his uh, his grandkids or his 
uh, without a father. I know that that happened in Detroit in the um, 80s with Pete Vitale and, and uh, Jimmy Quasarano got put away because of testimony from Pete Vitale's son-in-law. And Jimmy Q was like, I'm going to kill him. Right. And Pete Vitale, who these, these two were best friends, Vitale and Quasarano. They and went Vitale to New York to meet with Fat Tony after Hoffa. Right after Hoffa. And Vitale said, I hate this motherfucker too, but I'm not going to make my grandkids, or I'm not going to make my wife a widow and make my grandkids live without a father. So if you're going to kill him, you're going to wait till I die. And Jimmy Quasarano yeah. told people that he wanted to wait until Pete Vitale died. This The guy that they wanted to kill um, ended up committing suicide uh, before both Quasarano and Vitale died. And there was a belief that the suicide wasn't really a suicide, but I actually think it, it was a suicide. But Well, yeah, it's um, th- that's um, I was thinking of the Cavatayo situation, too, but he wasn't a snitch. That was a different. I mean, they still had to wait until his father-in-law, his father-in-law was protecting him. Yeah. And then, and then once his father-in-law died, he, they whacked him. It didn't take yeah. long, but that that's a di- that's different because he wasn't he wasn't a snitch, but he was a made guy. Um, yeah, um, th- it's uh, the last thing I want to ask you is: Do we have any insight into how they found him? Like, is there someone on the inside he, or something? Detello had, or was he out in the open, kind of, or both? I think Detello was able to get some inside information from some dirty police officers and it's similar you know we're talking just to make sure that we're covering all our bases and in, in referencing families trying to kill informants you know with the chicago um with nick calabrese who recently passed away nikki slim the only uh, member of the chicago mafia to ever testify jimmy marcello who was the boss back at that point located Nick Calabrese via a dirty U.S. Marshal. And they were taking measures to go find him and kill him before he could get, before he could hit the witness stand. And they weren't successful, but they had a dirty U.S. Marshal that was feeding them information on where the government's, like, number one witness of all time was, was being stashed. Yeah, it doesn't give you a lot of confidence in the uh, in either one of those cases about, about witness protection going at your own risk. Um, and then and then uh, you know in that whole Buffalo thing where we started off, there's a corrupt DEA agent who's part right. of that. <laughs> part so of that case. Yeah, Peter Geraci Jr., uh, the nephew of, of Joe Todaro, grew up with Joe Bon Giovanni, retired DEA agent who's also under indictment, and. Uh, the feds believe that Bon Giovanni was an inside man for Geraci Jr. Um, and other members or and members of uh, Buffalo Organized Crime. There's a phone call that they had. I'm not positive if the identifications were cemented or it's just believed, but there's some type of phone call between Geraci Jr., and Bon Giovanni, or of two people that have suspected to be those two, where a stripper died at Pharaoh's and Geraci Jr. got on the phone, allegedly, with Bon Giovanni and was basically like, what should I do? Like, come help me. And uh, so uh, I think she had OD'd. I don't think think she was murdered or anything. 
but uh, the the allegation is that uh, Bon Giovanni helped uh, help Peter Geraci Jr. out with that, and that the allegation from the government with with Geraci Jr. whether or not Bon Giovanni was taking bribes or not, there are allegations that Geraci was giving bribes out to a number of local and federal law enforcement. Yeah, so it kind of comes uh, comes full circle. It doesn't give you a lot of confidence, although it's certainly not as bad as we talked about with our friend Leo Silva last week with it <laughs> Mexico. So, but it doesn't doesn't give you a lot of confidence. Well, the Lucchese's with Joe Glasses, um, according to his attorney and a couple other people I spoke to, he's the the medical um, excuse is pretty legitimate that he that he has early onset dementia. He's only seventy three. But I've talked to some people that say that he, uh, in the last, since he went to prison, that he really slipped uh, mentally and uh, might not have a ton of time left. At the very least, might not have a ton of time being of sane mind. Uh, and that's what got him out early. Well, it's interesting. And uh, we look forward to uh, you following up on it and people can read up on it. In, yeah. And, uh, and, and as we wrap I just wanted to say that one thing I'm kind of noticing, and Jimmy and I talked about this uh, off air, there's more cross-pollination going on right now uh, with some of these crime families than than you might anticipate. Um, and I don't know if what we're seeing with Joe Todaro in in Chicago is an example of that or not. To the naked eye, it seems like it's an example of that. Um, but I was just, I don't want to say floored, but I was really surprised when I saw those pictures uh, surface today. And I just think it's another example of how in, you know, it, the mob sometimes mirrors overall business trends. And there's more of a globalization trend uh, with American business in the last 20 years. And, and maybe that globalization is the nationalization or the renationalization of La Cosa Nostra families that at one point were very connected and maybe lost some of that connection. And then it looks like, based on my reporting, some of it is has been regained and you have families that are working with other families, uh, you know, uh, in a very symbiotic relationship uh, in, in 21st century, like rackets. Well, the five families always work together, but but there are some striking examples. We had John Panisi on several weeks ago, and he talked about connections between the Lucchese and the outfit. Uh, we uh, we know Kansas that... City. We, yeah, go ahead, Kansas City. And, and Kansas City's got ties into the outfit as well as ties into Philadelphia right now. Philadelphia has ties... Uh, into uh, New England, and and we know that Genovese and Philadelphia goes back a long way, yeah. and um, I, I I'm pretty confident that that's still going on now, um, and um, and and then the Gambinos in New York, and um, I'm getting some pretty good intel. They're they're you know they're really close with the uh, Inzerillo clan in um, Palermo, but to be fair, that goes back that goes back decades and decades and decades like that, that, that goes back, you know, I mean, they're all interrelated. 
Gambino and Zarello, DiMaggio. And, um, but, but that, I mean, that's, that's, there've been busts just as in the last few years of where members of the family right. in Palermo are arrested in New York and New York guys are arrested. Right. Are arrested Gambino. Right. Are arrested in New York. And Tommy Tommaso Gambino, Joe's son was arrested in Italy and there were Sicilian guys arrested here. So they, they're really interlocked. And, and I'm I'm hearing, and you know, we've talked about this before. We just did the Gambino episode a few weeks ago. With, we talked about Menino and stuff. Um, I I think that the Sicilians are are kind of running the show right now with the Gambinos, and I and I think that um, uh, is it Paradiso. Uh, yeah. I think he I think he's sort of the bridge between the OG Gotti era guys. And I, my understanding is that this, the Zips really like him. Sicilians really like him. So he's kind of that bridge between, between the two. But um, you know, right now Menino, he, he's got a lot of juice. You know, uh, well liked, well respected. Kind of, kind of carries himself like an OG. You know, well, well, he's a snappy dresser. He really yeah. looks, he looks the part. He has connections to the old country. So um, it, it's just, I, I find it fascinating. You and I talk about how we really love the political science and the sociology of organized crime, and this is a perfect example of it when the different Borgatas. Uh, work together, have diplomatic relations with each other. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, well, and then the, the last thing I'll say on it, and then we'll wrap it up, uh, talking again about Todaro, there was another document, I I believe it was a RCMP document uh, from some point in the last couple of years where it claimed that, to, uh, that Todaro and... Um, some other guys in Canada wanted to get this ally Veroni guy made and they reached out to the five families and they somehow got word to Tommy Gambino in LA to get this ally Veroni guy uh, straightened out. And then Ivoroni goes from uh, Hamilton to Disney world or sorry, Disneyland. And I guess according to this, informant in this RRCMP report got made in California by Gambino on Todaro and the five families request and then comes back to Hamilton and a week later is dead. Um, so that's not been confirmed. I've written about it a little bit. I still don't have a hundred percent confirmation, but it's another example of this cross pollination. So. Yeah. And I, I know we've thrown on a lot of names, but that, and just to, you know, it gets confusing. Tommaso Gambino, who was arrested in Italy, and Tommy Gambino that you mentioned are not the same person. Right. The pr- Primo Cugini, they're, they're first cousins, first cousins, but they're not the same person. And um, so, yeah, that's a, that was a whole nother interesting story because, you know, a lot of us think that the L.A. family is probably defunct. But then that was some interesting intel that, that suggests that it may be more complicated than that. Or another argument is that, well, no, actually, Tommy is is a, a representante for the Gambinos in New York. He's just running things in L.A. for yeah. on behalf of New York or on behalf of the Gambinos. So, oh, and then of course the other argument is he's just a civilian and he has nothing to do with this. In fairness, um, but it's intriguing, definitely. And then we had Sammy the Bull come out recently and say that you know whatever you want to call Joe Todaro, you want to call him Pizza Man, you want to call him Wingman. I can tell you that there was a meeting that I had with him back in the eighties where he made me go out into the 
uh, Atlantic Ocean, so we would have no uh, ways to be listened to. And I was Sammy the Bulls talking. I was sending a message to his dad through him. Um, so again, there's been a there's a lot of smoke there. And that was and that was sorry to interrupt. I know we're going to wrap up, but that that was that was the smooth over. Wasn't that like the? Yeah, it was the, after Gotti got. It was after Gotti took power and led pipe. Joe had made a comment, I think, either on a wire or to somebody that he was going to seek retribution on Castellano's behalf. And Gotti sent word to Todaro via Gravano, like, "Stand down. This is none of your business." We have good authority, obviously well documented, that the Genovese family were very upset with with, yeah. with Gotti about that. So it's intriguing if there was another Borgata out out of that five families who was upset. And we also have good intel from Detroit that that high ranking Detroiters were would were upset with Gotti for make for this move. And uh in fact, one high-ranking member of Detroit would not meet with Gotti in prison as, uh, years later as a kind of still kind of like, you know, about the Castellano hit. Now, I get it. There's going to be some New York-centric people who are going to say, fuck Buffalo, fuck Detroit. What, are they, what can they do to John Gotti? Well, that's a, fair, that's, a fair, that's a fair comment. But it is interesting just politically, you know, to, to know that some of these other smaller families were also um, – not happy with the way that Gotti went about doing things. Well, this was fun. I love talking about New York. Uh, we get a lot of uh, requests to, to do more New York stuff, and we're trying to deliver that. Uh, please like, subscribe, share uh, our our site, our page, uh, the podcast. Um, you know, we love bringing in this content. We're going to keep on trying to bring you as much consistent content as possible and, and try to be as diverse as possible. I know I've been teasing it out, but we're going to, we're going to be start rolling out some more, uh, some more stuff content wise in the next couple months. And uh, hopefully we'll have some gear to sell uh, sooner than later. I'm, I'm hoping to get the a gear component of OG pod up by the you know, late spring, early summer. So check it out. We'll be back next week uh, for Ben behind the glass for, For Jimmy Bucciolato, the doctor, I'm Scott Bernstein, Original Gangsters Podcast, out.